Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 13. The full passage starts on verse 24, but we will begin reading at verse 32, which is page 850. No one knows that day or hour, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Uh, Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning knowing that uh, we have a a challenging passage ahead of us to unpack, and we ask for your insight. We ask that um, it would be something that is more than just us accumulating more Bible knowledge, that it's something more than just us having a different feeling uh, of conviction but that this would lead us to a path of obedience and a path of transformation to make us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. In your son's name we pray, amen. Um, So, uh, as some of you may know, yeah, 13 is is, is pretty challenging. And um, one of the challenges is because within this chapter are actually multiple dimensions. And um, before I freak you out of any of this, there, there are timelines that are going through this chapter that um, have different aspects to them. One of them being they've already happened. One of them is that they are happening. And then the other thing is that they're going to happen. And that all runs through at the same time through this chapter. So some of those events that we read here have already historically happened. And then there are some that haven't happened yet. And so in seeking a greater understanding of Mark chapter 13, we we can't look at it too linearly uh, because then it gets even more confusing. We kind of have to open up our minds a little bit about this. So in in no doubt at all that this chapter is uh, about the end end times or at least speaks about the end times. And the disciples seemed really, really interested in getting some of this clarity from Jesus regarding the end times. And Jesus kind of answers in this way. And he answers in this really profound way, just just framing for them the, this interest outside of just a singular dimension, that there, it's, it's rich in multiple ways. And so that, that there will be some occurrences, events that happen in the near future, and then that they're, they're, they're going to experience, there are, go, there are going to be some that happen in the, the, the midterm future where some of them will experience that too. And then some that will happen in the way, way long-term future where none of them are going to experience that. So again, we can look at this as the end has come, the end is coming, and the end will come. And you kind of have to have all those perspectives as you're reading this chapter. 
we know that the end has already come in the arrival of Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. That kind of started the beginning of the end. And we get an insight into this when we're reading biblical passages like Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, where it reads this. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we are presently living at the end of the age where the end is coming, but it has not come yet. That very end, that long-term end, is the second coming of Jesus, and sometimes these subject matters in the Bible really exercise our brains, and, and so some of you are just kind of like, oh man, this was just too much to download at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, forgive me, but we're warmed up now, yes? And so let's dive in. You ready? Okay, we're warmed up. All right, let's go. Verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now something that early readers of Mark had that we don't have, unfortunately, is, is just the benefit of their Jewish background, that rich tradition, that rich culture that was just passed on from generation to generation to help them understand what Jesus was saying. We, we don't have that history. We don't have that tradition. We don't have those things behind us, that culture. So we need to do a little bit of research to kind of get to that place. And so the early readers of Mark chapter 13 would have read this through their scripture lenses, which was back then the Old Testament. And so using the Old Testament, as they listened to verses 24 and 25, they would have heard, you know, day of the Lord prophesied in the Old Testament, and they would have automatically thought, you know, Isaiah. Isaiah spoke this. The prophet Isaiah spoke to this. And they would think about chapter, uh, chapter 13. And then within chapter 13, in verse 6, it reads this, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. And it also mentions this again in verse 9, the day of the Lord. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, at, at, to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Sound familiar? Mark 13. So they would run directly towards there. That's, that's where their mind would go. And Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 13 when he spoke these words in Mark 13. Now, what, what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 13 was a prophecy that literally, that historically played out in the context of Babylon and the Babylonian captivity. It, it already happened when Mark, when Mark is writing this. But when we get to Mark chapter 13, Jesus referenced Isaiah 13, referenced that prophecy, but in Mark 13, he's speaking about it figuratively now. Because back then it already happened. And so when he's bringing it into the present, he's speaking about that figuratively. Now, I'm not saying that God's power and his authority, authority are figurative. God's power is quite literal in Mark chapter 13. But literally, historically, that already happened in the Babylonian captivity in Babylon, Isaiah 13. That already happened. What Jesus was tapping into as he's saying this, as he's quoting Isaiah 13, was what happened back then was literal, and he was bringing into his present time a figurative way to describe disruption, to describe chaos. Jesus was painting a picture of the powers of the heavens and how they're going to be shaken, that anything they found to be stable and reliable in this world will be disrupted. 
and all the stability of the world will be shaken. The day of the Lord has come, it is coming, and it will come. So when he comes again, he will provide a definitive justice. The, the, the day has not come yet where that happens. And it's not because Jesus is, or God is afraid or lazy or indifferent about the, the horrible things that are happening in our world. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this, starting in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord on day, <clears throat> one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so God is extremely patient. But here's the thing about patience. It is not forever, right? Patience is not forever because in order to have patience, there is a finite end to it. Otherwise, what is there to be patient for? So patience is not forever. There's a definite end to it. And when that end comes, the, the figurative language in Mark chapter 13, verses 24-25, will be experienced literally in its fullness and in its power, all the injustices of the world will be accounted for at that time, and righteousness will finally reign. No more getting away with unrighteousness because somebody has a lot of money, or because of the color of their skin, or because of politics. None of that stuff's going to matter. All of the truth will be laid out, including one's thoughts and their heart and their intentions. All of it exposed. No more hiding behind anything. And the only advocate who can do anything about our unrighteousness is Jesus. Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. And so do you, do you sense the gravity of Mark chapter 13? Do you sense the, the severity, the seriousness of Isaiah 13, that we have this clock that is ticking and it's not stopping, and it's clicking towards this future of not yet, and there's no turning back. Now you turn one chapter uh, into Isaiah 14 now. In Isaiah 14, verse 26, it reads this, this is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? It's a rhetorical question. His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Nobody. See, God, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over humanity, and it's not that we're puppets, but our natural acts fulfill his supernatural purposes. And his hand is stretched out, and when we experience his grace, realize that his hand can also be pulled back. And that is the absence of his grace, and God has done this. Look at Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes this. God, verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. You read that? God gave them up in their lusts. You skip down to verse 26. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You skip down to verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He 
He gave them up. The retraction of his graciousness. The absence of his hand. See, this is what sin does. Sin makes us less human. Sin makes us less humane. And sin would have destroyed us completely without the Lord's hand stretched out to us. His grace. God's grace is the only reason why we haven't already destroyed ourselves. It's the only reason. And the day of the Lord will be a day of joy, and it is a day of anguish. It's both. It's joy in that there's grace extended for those who belong to him, and it is anguish because there's judgment for those that aren't experiencing his grace, that don't receive his grace. Now, back to Mark in verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Again, early readers of Mark would have had the Old Testament references to guide them here. And and here we need to turn to Daniel Daniel chapter 7. Starting in verse 13, Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So people in Jesus' day, they knew about Son of Man. And that Son of Man refers to humanity. Son of Man is the one described in Daniel chapter 7. In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, who has the authority to forgive sins. And so hearing this title, Son of Man, the early readers had this background, knowing that Son of Man referred to Daniel chapter 7, who had authority to forgive sins. Now, going back to Mark 13, verse 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, verse 17, this, this is, uh, or, or uh, 27, it, this is a promise. And all who he had redeemed uh, will be present. Jesus will gather his church. And, and this is a complete mystery how God is going to do this. But more important than how we think these things will happen uh, regarding this gathering of his church in, in the revelation is, is the revelation of God's heart. That's the most important thing, that God has a heart for communion with us. That heart, God has a heart and a desire to to commune with us. Verse 28, Mark 13, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. So another picture, another metaphor using gates to to be on guard, to stay awake, since that's what people at gates do. They're on guard. They stay awake. They're watchful. Verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now who's this generation? Who's he speaking of? Who is is this referring to? These are the same people told to be on guard in verse 23 when Jesus said, I have told you all things beforehand. I think that's who this generation is referring to. It's the same people in verse 29 where it says, when you see these things, and verse 30, until all these things take place, 
And then these things are referring back to all things in verse 23. I hope you are following me there. It, it made a lot more sense when I was like thinking these things through. So I'll pause. Make sense? Okay. What were these things? These things we have to look back to verse 4. So you look back to verse 4, and it's verse 4 and on are these things. False teachers, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, persecutions, etc., which describes signs leading to the second coming, but they are not signs of the second coming. Now I find this um, quite uncanny that we're talking about these things today. Because we do have wars and rumors of wars in our world. We do have famine. We do have earthquakes, right? South of Mexico, one of the largest quakes they've ever experienced. Um, all these different things happening in our world. And for some people, remember when Jesus said, do not be alarmed. And for some, their alarms are going off. Like, is this it? Is this it? I don't know if it is. I can't tell you no, and I can't tell you yes. All I can tell you is, his second coming is near. It's near. It's closer than now than it was 10 seconds ago. Like, it's near. Closer. But it's not here. <laughs> not here. See, these signs show that he's nearing, but he's not here. Signs of what is yet to come, and the people living back then saw the signs of his coming, but his actual second coming, Jesus Christ's return, is not here yet. Yet. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Another Old Testament reference. Back to Isaiah again, this time chapter 51, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Everything that represents stability that they knew of, heaven, right? The sun rises, sun sets. The earth, every morning I wake up, I step out of my bed, and there's solid ground beneath my feet. I, I farm through it, I, I work through it, everything's through that sky, heaven, everything will pass away. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be the way things were supposed to be. And we all will pass away. And even what we, we see as consistently stable, like the heavens and the earth, will pass away, but not God's words, not his promises, not the gospel of Jesus, where we sinners are welcomed into the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, because of what Jesus did, making that possible, paying for our unrighteousness through his death on the cross. Now, sometimes people think prophetic writings like these uh, found in Mark 13, that, that they give us a line-by-line -line detail of the future but it doesn't do that entirely. The future the Bible outlines is just that. It's, it's, it's an outline in Mark chapter 13. And then one of the things that we, we fall prey to is that we, we think that we know the details and we start filling in all the details of this outline. And if you look back in history, you just often find that we're wrong. That all the details people have put in, they're just, they're just wrong. And you just 
have to look at how many people have wrongly predicted when Jesus would return or what things would happen and all this kinds of stuff that, that were often just wrong. And what we find in the Bible is that the respective prophet will see a bunch of these events and, and, and then one of these events is the return of Jesus and we don't have fixed dates and we don't know exactly where and when they take place. We don't know where we're at in this time continuum and we don't have any of those details. We do know that we're in them, we're in the last days because Jesus, God incarnate, already came died, resurrected, and ascended. So we already know that we're in them. We're, we know that we're living in the last days, that the kingdom has come in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. It is coming, and when Jesus returns, the kingdom will come in its fullness. But we don't know when that will be. Now back to Mark 13, verse 32. <clears throat> but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, no one knows. Do not be led astray. If they say, oh, I know. False teacher. You know it already. All right? So next week when I tell you that Jesus is coming back, you know, in like two years, three days, four hours, because he is. False teacher. And then leave. Because you don't have to hear me anymore. Like, it's a false teacher. Just go, right? See, no one, no one knows when. If anyone says they know, they're a false teacher. Because Jesus himself doesn't know. Only the Father. The Son, Jesus, is co-eternal. He is he's co-equal, but he submits to the Father's plans as a mediator on our behalf. And there is, there is an exact moment. There is an exact day and hour, but only God the Father knows. And even if we don't know when, it doesn't mean that we're not to be uh, ready for his return. We need to be ready. So verse 33, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And this reminds me of the story found in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus told the story about ten virgins. Let me share this story with you. It starts in verse 1. Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And so the wedding celebration back in, in that day was in a culture that, that this wedding celebration happened in the span of a week and, and the bride was to be ready for the bridegroom's arrival and they didn't know when because they didn't have cell phones and stuff like that. So they didn't know when. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Now this is the uh, person that's announcing this, is the forerunner to the bridegroom. It's drawing pictures of John the Baptist, and, but that, we're going to save that for another time. Verse 7, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither 
you know neither the day nor the hour. And so the bridegroom delayed, but he eventually came. And it was unexpected, but they, but they knew that he was coming, even though they didn't know exactly when. And so, likewise, our lamps need to be ready. And here's another thing. It needs to be our lamp. We can't borrow someone else's faith. It is yours. It needs to be your own faith in God. We, we need to be ready. We need to watch. We need to stay awake. And we don't know when. Now, I've met so many people who are convinced that Jesus was going to come back at any time, and I completely agree with that. But here's what I don't agree with some of them, is how they live their life with this expectation. Because I have had close friends who did not have a care in the world how they spent their money because they just figured, you know what? Um, Jesus is coming back. So who cares if I max out my credit cards? Because he's coming back and he's going to wipe out those debts anyway, so I'm going to live it up and I'm just going to charge everything. I'm just going to max everything out. And I've also had the, the same friends. It's funny how they kind of move in like manner. But they also didn't care about the, the stewardship of our environment. Because the thought is, you know, he's coming back, so why bother? We, you know, he's going he's to make everything right anyway, so it doesn't matter how I spend my money. It doesn't matter how I treat this world. It doesn't matter how I do all this stuff. As long as I just kind of study my Bible, I'm ready. I'm going to do my Bible studies, and I'm just going to kind of be insulated and keep my little group, and just, that's it, and we're going to do our holy huddle, and we're just going to wait Jesus out. But it's not living out what the Bible instructs us or how the Bible instructs us to live. And you look back to verse 34, it says, It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. You notice that? You notice that the man puts his servants in charge, each with his work. No holy huddles, no things like that. Work. You're in charge. See, we have work to do even in these last days. We have been put in charge of some work. Each has their work to do. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples didn't relax and just be like, oh, yeah, it's great. He gave us all the revelation we need. Let's just kind of like go back to fishing and it'd be cool. We'll just wait it out. No, we, we see that they got busy. They, they got really busy. And, and it's the same, same thing for us. We, we need to get busy in doing whatever it is that Jesus has, has called each of us to do and knowing that Jesus can return at any moment and living as though he won't return within our lifetime, but we still have work to do. And living in that tension of expectation yet realizing maybe it won't happen within my lifetime. Now here's another story Jesus told in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 12. It said, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten, ten minas and said to them, here's the verse I want to pick up on, Engage in business until I come. That, that's very action-oriented, isn't it? Engage. See, we're, we're to do something with what God gave us. The ten minus, we are to stay engaged. We need to do something with it. Now back to Mark 13, verse 37. And what I say to you, 
I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. And we are to stay awake whether that time is near or that time is far. We can't insulate, isolate ourselves from the world. We, we are servants put in charge, each with our own work. We are to stay awake. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells us who the faithful and wise servant is. And it's found in Matthew 24, starting in verse 46. He says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Doing. The one found so doing when he comes. We don't know when, but we know he's coming. And, and we're not just to sit around waiting. We are to do. We are to act in our waiting. We are put in charge each with our own work. We are to be engaged in business until he comes. We are to stay awake. Keeping awake is mentioned multiple times here. Verse 33, 34, 35, 37. I think Jesus wants us to stay awake. I think. See, this is a call to action. This is not something where Jesus said, stay asleep. Right? Stay awake. Now, some may argue that Mark was written primarily to a Roman audience, and, and it was, but, but some may argue that this was just for the disciples. But this is a verse here in verse 37. I can't see it any other way than this is for everyone. Read that again. And what I say to you, I say to all. In Greek, all is still all. Like it's the same. Right? Stay awake. And it's a really, really clear instruction. It, it, stay awake. We're not to be like those unprepared virgins who weren't ready. You know, their time came and, and those who were ready, they were rewarded. And those who weren't, they were left behind. We're to stay awake, be ready for Jesus Christ's return. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you're asleep. You're not awake. You're asleep. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Holy Spirit says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today. See, none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised the next hour. Today, right now, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart toward God. Wake up. In that story of the ten virgins, they, they each stood for themselves. They were accountable for themselves, and they couldn't stand in for somebody else. Where are you individually with Jesus today? Just you, between you and God. And then after that story of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 comes that story of, of the talents, where... The servants were each entrusted with the owner's property. And so what are we doing with the talents that Jesus has given us? What are we doing with the gospel that he has given to each of us? Then after that talent story is the, the feeding of the hungry, the clothing of the naked, the visiting of the sick and the imprisoned, and doing to them as if serving Christ. Do you see the progression? 
See, there, there is plenty for the follower of Jesus to do. There's a lot that we are put in charge of. There's a lot of business to be engaged in. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we need to wake up and stay awake to all the pain and the suffering and the injustice around us and do something about it. Do something. We're not waiting passively for the return of Jesus Christ. We are to be active in our waiting. Waiting for the return of Jesus Christ is critical while we are simultaneously pursuing justice. It's, it's not an action that is absent of waiting for the return of Jesus Christ because the ultimate justice won't come no matter how much we do. But Jesus will usher in that ultimate justice and we must be able to take action and wait for the Lord simultaneously to do them at the same time. Jesus has not yet come because his heart is for all to come to repentance. Second Peter. Now, there are so many people who are on the other side of it where it's all about doing good. And they're not in expectation waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And actually, the spiritual stuff is secondary to the things that they are doing. And so they're, quote, doing good, but then they're living these sinful lives. And so we, we can't fool ourselves. None of us can do enough to earn righteousness. And the Bible in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. That no matter how much you do, you are not righteous. And so we see how important theology is in that reminder and telling us to stay awake and to do something and to wait. But we can't all be all about works and just doing justice, doing righteousness and doing all those things and neglecting God. Just as we can't be stuck in theology and not do anything about the world. You look back to the stories in Matthew 25 again. The virgins who weren't ready were left in anguish. And the servant who did nothing with his talent, it says that he experienced weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then further on in that story, the one who didn't serve the least of these was told to depart and he was cursed. It's all in Matthew 25. So you have those pictures. Now you look on the flip side of that picture. The virgins that did stay awake They experienced great joy. They, they went into the feast. They went into the marriage feast. The servants who did something were given more talents. And the servant who served the least of these, it says that he was blessed and inherited the kingdom. They stayed awake. They stayed awake. And those who don't stay awake for Jesus will experience anguish, sorrow, and those who stay awake for Jesus will experience blessing and great joy. As we close, um, I want you to ponder, to think, to meditate on a couple of questions as we enter a time of worship and communion. <clears throat> and these are just questions to help get, just get you thinking. And maybe the Holy Spirit will direct you another way, but are 
are you ready for Jesus Christ's return? We know that the end is coming. We're in that time period now, but the end will come. There will be a definite end date because we know that God is patient and he's long-suffering in that patience. But patience doesn't exist if there's no end. So there is an end. So are we ready for Jesus Christ's return? And, and here's another question after that uh, closed-ended question of yes or no. Here's a more open-ended one. How are you actively engaged? Are you actively awake in the waiting of Jesus Christ's return? That you're not too stuck on the theology side and just waiting and not doing anything. And you're also not too far on the, I'm just about doing all the stuff. And you're neglecting the readiness of being prepared for Jesus Christ's return. Spiritually. Let's pray, and as, as you're praying, think about these things, talk to God about these things, engage in a conversation with the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask for revelation to those who are asking you these very questions about readiness, about staying awake, about how they are um, engaged in the waiting, that it's a proactive, action-oriented waiting, even though that seems so paradoxical. But would you show each person here this morning, God, who you are? There may be some here this morning <clears throat> who don't know you at all, that, um, that as in Hebrews, today is that day. And so I would ask God that their hearts would be softened, that they would be open to receive from you and that you would speak to them, Lord, and that they would develop this purpose that you've given to them to go about doing your work as they are servants put in charge of something. And so God, would you empower them to go about that purpose? Would you empower them to engage in your business in Jesus' name, amen.